Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And if you would, please turn with me to Psalm 110, which can be found on page 509 of the Pew Bible. And as become our custom, will you please stand with me as we read Psalm 110. Hear the inerrant word of the Lord. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will scatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you plant your word deep into our hearts, that it will change us, that by your power and by your spirit we might be faithful, that we might be your people. Bless us. Bless us this morning. With Christ Himself. Give us eyes to see Him, ears to hear Him, and later mouths to taste His grace. We ask this in His name. Amen. One of my guilty pleasures, um, one of my guilty pleasures, is to watch the TV show The Office. And one of my favorite episodes is found in season five, and I think it's called Casual Friday. And at the beginning of the episode, it's, it reveals Kevin. And Kevin has made his famous chili. He calls it Kevin's famous chili. And the scene opens with him describing how he makes this chili. He describes how the night before he presses the garlic. He dices whole tomatoes, but the key ingredient is to not overcook the onions. But you might not know this, because while Kevin is explaining how he makes this chili, what you see Kevin do is bring what I can only tell is about a 40-quart pot of chili into the office. And he comes into the building, and the first thing you see is that the elevator is out of order. And so you see Kevin carrying up a 40-quart pot of chili up the stairs. Then he finally enters into the office. Holding his pot, you see the lid tilt, and then Kevin drops 40 quarts of chili on the carpet. It goes everywhere. He tries to clean it up. He gets a binder and tries to shove it all back into this big pot. I can just hear Miss surely cringing right now somewhere, that that might actually happen here. 
a spill like that isn't something where you can go and just take a few paper towels and try to clean it. Resolve is not going to be your answer to that type of spill. You're going to need something industrial. You're going to need to rent something or pay someone to come take 40 quarts of chili out of your carpet. What we see in Psalm 110 is that our problem is a lot like Kevin's chili problem. It needs something outside of our power to clean it up. Resolve won't clean up our little mess because our problem is bigger than a little spill on the carpet. What Psalm 110 speaks about, what it speaks to, is that David sees our problem because our problem is David's problem. But let's be for sure what David's problem isn't in Psalm 110. His problem isn't just daily battles that he has. The problem that we find in Psalm 110 isn't his daily struggles against foreign kings and conquering them and overcoming them. His problem is much greater than that. And we have daily problems too, don't we? That we can identify that David has regularly. We have problems of trying to fit in. We have problems of anxiety or just daily demands and hardships. We have problems finding friends that we can trust, friends who can actually listen to us. We have problems communicating with our spouse how we truly feel about something. We have problems getting our children to obey or even just to listen. Sometimes we have problems because we just don't think that our parents understand what we're truly going through. Or we even have problems of actually admitting that we don't have what it takes to overcome whatever our problem needs. But let us see that this is not the type of problem that David is speaking about. He's speaking of something that actually unites us to him. He's speaking about our biggest problem. This is what he says in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Not your enemies. Not my enemies the your here at the end of verse 1, the antecedent is, or what it's pointing to, is the Lord's enemies. He's speaking of what is behind each of our daily problems, and those are not little problems. But he's speaking to the problem of sin, death, that come from Satan himself. He's speaking of the Lord's enemy. This is the problem that David is entering us into and giving us great hope. Because also in this psalm, we find God's industrial grade cleaning solution. It's David's Lord. 
Our problem is his problem. Our enemy is his enemy. Our solution is his solution. You see, what Psalm 110 is about is the coming Messiah. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But it's the promised one. And I want us to see this morning the two different ways this promised Messiah, this promised one, this anointed one is going to solve our industrial grade mess. He's going to solve it by sending us a messianic king and a messianic priest. So first, he's going to solve our problem by sending a messianic king. Psalm 110 is clearly a royal psalm. As I preached on just a few weeks ago, just like Psalm 72. It is a royal psalm, but it is even more than that because it is a messianic psalm. The Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. The Messiah is God's promised son, his promised resolution, his promised redemption for his people. He's the promised one in Genesis 3.15. He's the promised one that comes as Abraham's offspring in Genesis 15. He's the promised king that comes from Judah in Genesis 49. And then when we get to Psalm or to 2 Samuel 7 with great clarity, we see that this promised Messiah is David's son. But what do we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7? That David's son will have a kingdom that has no end. That is the Messiah, the promised one. That is David's Lord. And now we have to clear up the, the con, somewhat confusion of David saying, the Lord says to my Lord. You can see we might be confused by that. But what we need to understand is that this first Lord, the lower, or the small caps, is the the name of Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God that he revealed at Exodus 3 to Moses through the burning bush. This promise, this interconversation that David brings us into is the covenant Lord saying to his Lord. This lowercase Lord is the word translated as Adonai. It means master or king. And so this Lord is someone greater than David that the covenant Lord is making a promise to. And we might have some confusion about what he's promising, but look at what the Lord, Yahweh himself, is promising to David's Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He is promising a solution to David's biggest mess. He is promising to David's Lord that he will pro provide a solution that is greater than David has the ability to comprehend. He is promising a solution through someone who will do greater things than David can even think about. We know this because this is what Jesus says in Matthew 22. 
When he's speaking to the Pharisees, he asks them this question, Who is David's son? And he asks them, Why does he call him Lord if he is his son? I don't know if you remember that conversation, but the Pharisees were unable to answer him because the Pharisees did not know to whom David was speaking. But this is where we find gospel hope. David's greater son was Jesus. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, revealing to them who David's greater son, who this Messiah really was. It was Jesus. This is why we read Hebrews 1, the entire chapter, to start off the service. Hebrews 1 picks up right where Psalm 110 leaves off because it's all talking about Jesus and his kingship. How is Jesus better? How is he greater than David himself? Because he has a kingdom that has no end. Jesus far surpasses anything that David could have accomplished, ever could have dreamed about, because what did Yahweh say to Jesus? Something that he didn't even say to the angels. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the promise of the gospel that David reveals to his people of what the coming Messiah will do for this, their biggest problem. He will give them Jesus. He will provide someone greater than David. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It's found on page 910 of your pew Bible. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. This is after Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus' ascension. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Verse 29. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and in his tomb, and in is and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he would, was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he was poured out... He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus that you have crucified. This is David's greater son. This is Jesus who conquered the enemy that David could never fathom that he would conquer. That he would do 
anything far surpassing that David ever could have imagined he could have done. And what did Peter say? Peter said that David was being a prophet, prophesying of the hope of the salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, now we all know what prophecy is primarily for, right? We spent all last semester in Jonah and Micah. Please tell me we all know what prophecy is for. That's discouraging. <laughs> we know that prophecy isn't just foretelling what is going to come, but that most prophecy is given to God's people to curb them to covenant faithfulness. Most of the prophecy of the prophets of the Old Testament isn't elaborating on what is to come, but it's speaking about merely the promises that God has given his people, calling his people back to faithfulness. This is what David is doing in Psalm 110. He's telling the people of God, this is what God has promised us he will do in the Messiah. This is what God has promised to do in Jesus have hope in those promises, and be faithful to the Lord. He speaks about the future so that the people will be faithful then and there, having hope in the promises of God. Why should we have hope in the promises of God? This is what verses 2 and 3 and 5 to 7 tell us. For the Lord will send forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. He is sending one forth from Jerusalem who will conquer everything. All evil, all sin, all death. And guess what? You have to do nothing. This is the hope of the gospel. David was a prophet, prophet speaking of the future to give them hope now. This is what our messianic king has accomplished on our behalf. Yes, we have daily struggles, but what Jesus came to do far surpasses all of our daily struggles, and yet he is our daily bread. Because he has come as the Lord has promised, as the covenant God himself has promised. He has defeated your enemy, your problems. He has cleaned up your industrial mess. And guess what? There is nothing more for you to do except believe in Jesus. He is our hope of salvation. He is our messianic king. He has accomplished all for us that we might follow him. This is why we sang joy to the world. Our salvation has come in our king. He has conquered our foes in his death and his resurrection. This is, it's interesting. This is what Paul connects in 1 Corinthians 15. That David or that Jesus was the better Adam. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, he has set his enemies under his feet. It has been accomplished for you. 
This is what Paul also says in Romans 1, verse 4, when he connects Jesus to David. Through his resurrection, he has accomplished all and put it all under his feet. There is nothing more for you to do. This is why we read from Daniel 7 in our call to worship. David 7 isn't speaking about the second return of Christ. He's speaking about Jesus sitting enthroned above all the heavens for eternity because he has accomplished everything. There's nothing more for you to do except believe in Jesus. He is ruling right now. He is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he will come again. There is nothing more for you to do except look to Jesus for your salvation. He is our messianic king. We also see in Psalm 110 that Jesus is our messianic priest. So I have a second cousin named Doug. I don't know Doug very well. Doug was the weird second cousin that always, didn't always, but every once in a while showed up at a Christmas dinner. And Doug was very mysterious to me as a child. I actually had to text my mother and say, who is your cousin that always showed up or that showed up every once in a while for dinner and then talked the whole time and then mysteriously just disappeared? That was my second cousin, Doug. What does Doug have to do with Psalm 110? Well, we have this verse in here, verse 4, where David writes, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who knows who Melchizedek is? Seeing Hunter's face, he has no idea. Melchizedek was first introduced into the scriptures in Genesis 14, verses 18 to 22. Verses 18 to 20. He has two verses in the book of Genesis. Melchizedek shows up out of nowhere. And this is odd, right? What is Genesis about? It's the history of the world. Genesis 1 and 2 gives us the history of how the world was created. And then we see all these names. Someone was born. Someone lived a really long time. Someone had so many children, and then someone died. Someone was born. Someone lived for so long. Someone had a bunch of children, and then someone died. Over and over and over. This is the story, the genesis of the beginning. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have Melchizedek show up in Genesis chapter 14. And the scriptures tell us that Melchizedek is a king and a priest from Salem. He is the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the king that has come from Salem. And what do we see Abraham do? Abraham pays him a tribute because he is a priest of the Most High God. And then we never hear about Melchizedek again until Psalm 110. Two times in the entire Old Testament, we hear this name, Melchizedek. He is like my second cousin, Doug. He just shows up. He pops up here in Psalm 110. 
But it's very important for us to see why he pops up in Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. And then we don't hear again about him until Hebrews chapter 5. Because Hebrews chapter 5 gives us the answer to who Melchizedek was. He was a priest of the Most High God. And this is the line from which Jesus becomes our great high priest. If you know anything about your Old Testament, Melchizedek is the only figure in the entire Old Testament that holds the two offices of a king and a priest. There was only one other person that tried to hold these two offices. His name was Saul. Saul didn't do so hot. Saul was actually removed from a king because Saul tried to perform the acts of a priest going against God's law, and so God removed him and planted David into his office. But here we have this Melchizedek, this priest forever. He has no beginning. We are not told of his end. And yet in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, we have this high priest who prepared us for one greater than him. He prepared us for Jesus. Melchizedek was this priest that offered a sacrifice, and Abraham paid him homage. And yet what we find in Jesus is that Jesus didn't provide a sacrifice. Jesus provided himself for his people. In his incarnation, Jesus had no earthly father. But Jesus fulfilled the office of priest so that we might be cleansed from our industrial mess. Because the only way that we can be purified from our sins is through the offering of a sacrifice that lasts forever. And this is what we have in Jesus. If we don't understand the theological foundation of Melchizedek, then we can actually not understand the eternal forgiveness and salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. It isn't for just our once sins. It is for all of our sins, past, present, and future. You have been cleansed by the blood of the great eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek, and his name is Jesus, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He has offered himself as a perfect sacrifice so that you will never have to sacrifice anything in order to earn your salvation. Jesus truly has paid it all. He is a priest forever. Turn with me to Hebrews. And I think I wrote this down. I don't think I wrote down the page number. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7.
The first three verses are the author of Hebrews explaining what happened in Genesis chapter 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Jump down to verse 6. But this man, who does not have his descendants from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessing, blessed him who had, who had made promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it testifies he, that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through, through, through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestors when Melchizedek had never met. This is far surpassing anything that the priest of Moses could ever give. Melchizedek was greater than any Levitical priest. This becomes more evident, verse 15, when another priest arises in likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indestructible life. For this is the witness, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Go to verse eight, chapter 8. Now the point in this we are saying, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in a true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. We have something so much better in Jesus. All your sins are paid for. Psalm 110 not only is interpreted in Hebrews. Psalm 110 looks past Hebrews. It actually looks to the book of Revelation where we await the return of the Lamb of God who was slain for us. Psalm 110 is telling us a story. That's why we find it in the Psalter. It's a hymn it's a song for God's people to sing together to remind us of the great salvation that God himself has promised us. Because let me ask you this question. If David's Lord is Jesus, how secure are his promises? If David's Lord is the Messiah, the one to come, who is Jesus. How secure are God's promises? What we find in Psalm 110 
is Yahweh, God the Father, promising to the second person of the Trinity that he would defeat and conquer our enemies. What we find in Psalm 110 is the eternal covenant made that our industrial mess will be cleansed and conquered in the person of Jesus. There is nothing more for you to do. There's no power for you to conquer. There's no mess that you have to clean up. Your salvation is found in Jesus alone. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He has conquered his enemy, who was our enemy. All glory be to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, use my feeble and broken words to bring salvation through the power of Christ. Lord, bless us. Nourish us through your word and now through this sacrament. We ask in the name of our great king and eternal priest. Amen.